This is Brooks Gray, and you're listening to Accidental Theology, a podcast about theology and worship. Today we're going to look at the question, what is worship? Welcome to episode number two of Accidental Theology. If you are new, if this is your first time, a special thank you for joining me. If you stuck with me after the first two episodes, I know this is episode two, but we had a pilot episode, so this is technically the third one. Um, If you stuck through the previous two, through all of the junk that I was fighting, I started off probably at a bad time. I was fighting a sickness, and it's, man, it's hung on for about... A month or two, actually about yeah, about a month and a half. So it's been a while. I'm finally feeling a lot better, getting over it. So thanks for uh, for hanging with me and and not letting that drive you away so far. In preparation for this episode, for what is worship, my my goal was to kind of tackle it in one episode, but this is shaped up into what is going to be a two, at least a two-part episode. I don't think it'll go to three parts, but at least a two-part episode because it's a big question. Man, it's a big issue when we're when we're defining uh, what worship is. So I don't want to rush through this, but at the same time, I don't want to bore you, so I'll probably keep it to about two episodes. And this is part one. So thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Socrates claimed that until you knew what something was, you couldn't answer any other questions about it. So here in the third episode of Accidental Theology, here at the start of our journey together, before we start tackling other issues about worship and other questions about worship, I wanted to start with the question of what is worship? And I want to start off by using the definition, just this is straight out of the Merriam-Webster dictionary, and it says this, there are three Three definitions for the noun uh, uh, worship, and they are as follows. First, reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power. Secondly, a form of religious practice with its creed and ritual. Thirdly, extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. And when used as a verb, worship has two separate definitions. It says, first, to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. And the second is to regard with greater extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And I think those are pretty decent definitions, but as we jump into this, um, we we quickly can see that worship encompasses so much more than a dictionary can, can give us. And so I just wanted to start with uh, some some biblical examples, and the way I want to do this is I want to start off by looking at uh, examples of unacceptable worship. Um, and there's there's three, at least three types of unaccepted worship in the Bible. There are probably more than that, but for the sake of not having a four hour podcast, we're going to focus on three, and those three are as follows. Number one of the unacceptable worship is worship without faith. Number two is worship on our own terms. And three is worship with the wrong attitude or the wrong motives. And let's start with the first one of those, worship without faith. When you look at Genesis chapter 4, we read the story of Cain and Abel um, when they're born and uh, very quickly, it doesn't take long before Cain 
murders his brother Abel. When we read this story, we read about both of them bringing a sacrifice. Uh, Cain, Cain brought some fruit of the ground as an offering to God, and Abel brought the firstborn of his livestock. And God rejected Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's. And it's not really abundantly clear why God rejected Cain's offering, but accepted Abel's offering. So you have to think that God had given instructions at some point on offerings, and Cain had knowledge of what he was was doing because God comes to Cain in, in verses 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 4 and says this. He says this to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now Hebrews chapter 11 gives a little more insight into this story. And uh, it, it says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So we can kind of see that one of the big differences may have been that Abel offered his, his offering, his sacrifice, through faith, and, and Cain did not do that. Which brings me to this first point, and I just wanted to show this, that we cannot worship without faith. And I want to talk more about that next week. Um, part two of this this question, what is worship, is going to be on a, a an applicable, practical, practical level, what that looks like, if that makes sense. So we're going to talk about how to worship through faith and what that looks like. But I'm going to save that for next week, again, just so we don't have a super long podcast today. And in this story, what's interesting is it kind of leads us into the next form of unacceptable worship, and that is worship on our own terms. Now, we can assume that Cain knew what type of offering to bring before the Lord, but chose to do it in his own way. But not only with the example of Cain, we can see that in the story of Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, um, Samuel comes and he is anointing Saul king. And he gives Saul very, very uh, – it, it's quite interesting if you want to go read it. It's 1 Samuel chapter 10, very specific instructions on what's going to happen and what he needs to do. And I want to read this because it's like shockingly specific, quite funny in, in a sense. But starting in chapter 10, verse 2, Samuel says this to Saul, When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city... You will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. 
Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, this is the important part, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what to do, what you shall do. Those are very specific instructions, and it actually goes on just shortly after that to, to say that all those signs came to pass that day, like in the, in the same day that uh, Samuel was telling him all of this. But what's really interesting about this is when you get to chapter 13, uh, you read about the rest of this story. And here's what happens. I'm just going to read this straight out of chapter 13, starting in verse 8. He, he being Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had murdered, uh, had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have, have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul's offering, his sacrifice of this burnt um, burnt offering was not accepted because he did it on his own terms. Samuel told him exactly what was going to happen. He gave all these crazy signs. There's going to be some guys come down and meet you. They're going to start prophesying, and you'll prophesy and do all this stuff. They're going to give you some bread, take the bread. So all that stuff happened, and Saul saw all that stuff happen, and still he decided not to wait on Samuel to come down because Samuel was going to offer the sacrifice. And later on in, uh, in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel says these words to Saul, "'As the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams.'" For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as in iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. We cannot live disobedient lives and expect to live an acceptable life before God. It's just not going to happen. There's no amount of singing. There's no amount of sacrificing of time or money that will make up for your and my disobedience. We can't neglect or reject the Word of God and live a life of worship. Um, Samuel said to Saul, because you have rejected the word, the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. God's never pleased when we decide the terms of our worship, when we just decide to take it upon ourselves and uh, you know, live disobediently. Um, it's never pleasing to God 
if we come and offer up our praise and worship on our own terms. And so I want to go now to the third thing that I mentioned earlier, worship with the wrong attitude or or worship with the wrong motives. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 through 13, this is what God says to the people. How have we despised your name? This is God asking the question. He actually says right before this, you may say, how have we despised your name? And God goes on to tell them, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you may not kindle fire upon my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring uh, what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? God is great. This is not in the Scripture. This is me talking now. God is great, and He deserves our absolute best. When our worship becomes a weariness, as He uh, said there towards the end, becomes a weariness or we snort at it, God, God isn't honored. He will not accept worship that is offered with the wrong motives and with the wrong attitude. And I love how the message version reads um, verses 11 through 13 in that chapter. And it's, it words it and it says it like this. This is God speaking. I am honored all over the world, and there are people who know how to worship me all over the world, who honor me by bringing their best to me. They're saying it everywhere. God is greater, this God of the angel armies. All except you. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important, and what we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored, this doesn't do anything for me, you act so superior, sticking your noses in the air, act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down or a broken or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept it? So my question for you is, have you been approaching worship, both uh, corporate worship in the church and in your own personal life, like you are superior? Are you bored? Have you caught yourself thinking, this doesn't do anything for me, or my time at church and in my worship is not a priority? My heart and my prayer is that through this podcast, uh, we will all get to a place in which we despise, we detest offering God less than our best, that we can all get to a place in which we realize the importance of worship, how it honors God and how it encourages our own souls through interaction 
with our Creator. So I'll close with this. What is worship? The initial question we asked. Worship is giving worth to God through faith in an acceptable manner under His own terms through engaging with Him. So put in another way, it's obediently honoring God how He deserves for who He is and for what He's done. We don't get to dictate how and when we're going to enter into the presence and worship of God. We don't decide on Sunday morning that we're going to offer up songs of praise and adoration while living an unholy, unsurrendered, unrighteous life the rest of the week and then expect God to delight in our singing. That's not who God is, and that's not how He works. And so I pray that as we kind of wrap this up, you'll, you'll examine your own heart and allow God to reveal to you maybe those areas where you've, you've allowed yourself to fall into one of these categories. You know, do you worship without faith? Have you decided you're going to worship on your own terms and, you know, how you're going to come into God's presence? Or do you worship with the wrong attitude and with the wrong motive? Now, this is not an easy thing to to do, to not do those things, because we're all guilty of it. We we all fall fall short of, of God's holiness and pureness and and glory. But the awesome thing is we have the Holy Spirit, and uh, Jesus himself said, it's best that I go. He told his disciples, it's better that I go, because if I don't go, then the Comforter cannot come. So we have the comforter. We have the one who can show us how to truly worship and what that looks like. And so I pray that as we uh, continue looking at this next week and really look at more practical ways of what it looks like to worship through faith and and, and offer our best, that uh, you'll allow God to speak into your heart and just uh, start to change you. And uh, I'm praying the same for myself. So I hope you have a great week. Come back next week. We'll wrap up part two of this. Uh, I look forward to sitting down with you again and you listening to me. I hope you have a great rest of the week and you see God do amazing things in your life. So with that, God bless. See you soon.